Inner Voice, a heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inner Voice Show. I'm Dr. Fujian Zane, and I'm a psychotherapist, author, the originator of the Awareness Integration Theory. And hello to Sean, our director in our studio. This is a show about what matters most in our life, our minds, our thoughts, feelings, actions, relationships, and our fulfillment in this beautiful journey of life. Today, I will share the tip of the week about how to be present to who you are today and not keep going back to the past or the future and how to utilize the past and the future. Then I chat with Dr. Carrie Cohen. She's a licensed therapist with a doctorate in clinical psychology. She specializes in sex and relationships and specialty sex and love addiction. Dr. Cohen maintains a blog at Psychology Today and is the author of 10 books, including Loose Girl, a memoir of promiscuity and, and, and dirty little secrets of breaking the silence on teenage girls. And today we will be talking about her latest book, Crazy For You, Breaking the Spell of Sex and Love Addiction. Then I will share with you in the Ask Me segment in how to change your mood. Then I bring you Tara Wyatt Treslove. She's a speaker, a writer, a personal trainer, and a coach. And she's the creator of Transform with Tara Academy, a membership program that uses mindset and movement to help women unlock their inner strength and power and potential. Great, great guests. So I'm sure you'll enjoy them as much as I will. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel and podcast. Connect with me through any of the social medias um, and I'll, through Dr. Fujian Zain. I'd love to hear from you. So connect with me and share with me your con conversations, questions, any of that. But before, first, here's the tip of the week. You could just wake up one day, reach across your nightstand, and hit the life reset button. Let's face it, the struggles and frustrations of everyday life leave millions of women and men around the globe yearning for a new way. And the new way is right here in Life Reset, the awareness integration path to create the life you want by Dr. Fujian Zane. You can get it now at fujian.com or amazon.com. Life Reset the awareness integration path to create the life you want. You deserve it. Here's the tip of the week. How to be present to who you are today. As you become aware of yourself, you will notice that you can witness your thoughts, your feelings, and actions. This happens in the present time. It's a gift to have the ability to experience the thoughts and feelings as well as monitor them as if you are not them, but watching them. This skill can be very helpful in communicating with people around you. Imagine talking to your coworker or your boss as you experience productive communication while you connect with them. You can also monitor your reactions and become intentional in the communication. Picture an argument with the spouse. 
as you're part of the dialogue, you may become aware of your emotional reactions in your body and become aware of the thought process that is igniting your emotional reaction. This view may support you to become intentional in sharing and negotiating the matter at hand in a calm and amicable way, rather than like getting triggered at each other and pushing each other toward the fight. So the present time is where intervening happens. It is where intentional change occurs. As people become aware of the triggers, emotional reactions or destructive behaviors, they get interested in the reason behind it and the origination of it. I've noticed that some people look outside of themselves to figure out the answer to their questions that are about them since they have not been trained or have the skills of looking at themselves without being punitive. Insight of when and where a person has made a decision about themselves or the world lies within the person and not outside of them. Recently, due to people having access to many, many media or social media, um, which describes mental illnesses, personality disorders, personality types, they end up diagnosing themselves or everybody around them inaccurately. This process not only does not help the person, but gives the scolding and a punitive mind another ammunition to put themselves down. So the insight about how we have acquired certain thought, certain beliefs, certain feelings or behavioral pattern is very useful. When we become aware of the incident or the circumstance that we made a decision about ourselves and the world is revealed, we have the opportunity to challenge it, do some reality check, heal it, and integrate those separate parts of us, what we, a lot of people call the inner children in us, back, integrate them to ourselves and, be, uh, and to, to have the more vulnerable part, part and the more resilient part and the skilled parts all together versus being... Um, separated. Regardless of the above process, we still need to gain skills to move forward. Having insight is important. However, it does not automatically give us the skills that we need for today. We can gain the insight of the reason you get so angry so fast in an argument with your spouse is that your parents fought that way with each other and reacted to you in that way in the same format. So you may become aware that your parents did not have the skills of anger management or emotional regulation or appropriate communication skills. Therefore, you followed their path and role model their behavior as the only way of reacting. This insight does not automatically change your behavior. It only gives you an understanding of where your learnings came from. Now you need to choose to learn the skill that would be useful in communication by choosing another role model to gain and practice the new skills for emotional regulation and anger management. The ability to become aware of your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors would allow you to access the impact and workability of your attitude in different areas of your life. 
Insight into the past and the origination of the beliefs, feelings, and behaviors will give you the ability to evaluate the accuracy and the relevance of your thought that led you to your emotions and behaviors. It also gives you a chance to heal and integrate your different parts. Envisioning the desired future, how you want to be, will allow you to evaluate what skills you need to move forward and actualize your goals. This begins the opportunity to gain and practice life skills that are essential for your growth, creation and maintenance of quality relationships. For more observational integrative skills, go to my book, Life Reset, The Awareness Integration Path to Create the Life You Want. And in that book, the exercises will support you to become aware of your thought and feeling and behaviors and give you skills in how to be with yourself and others. Thank you. Welcome back everyone. I'm Dr. Fujian Zane and I am so excited to have Dr. Carrie Cohen with me. She's a licensed psychotherapist and a um, she has her PsyD in clinical psychology. She's specialized in sex and um, love relationships. Um, Dr. Cohen maintains a blog at Psychology Today and is the author of 10 books, including Loose Girl, a memoir of uh, promiscuity and dirty little secrets, breaking the silence on teenage girls um, and promiscuity. Now, we will be talking about her amazing book, the latest book, Crazy for You, Breaking the Spell of Sex and Love Addiction. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. Now, this topic is very, very close to my heart. I work, um, I've experienced myself to be, uh, as I was growing up, a love addiction. And I'm, I think I can, I've finally broke the spell in a sense. And we know it's a process. And I work a lot with um, women and men who are in this process. And um, I really enjoyed your book because it's comprehensive and it goes through many layers of, of the process as we go through. But first, before that, uh, what got you interested in this field? Well, I mean, I too <laughs> have been a sex and love addict uh, most of my life and also have sort of moved through various layers of it. Um, like you were saying, you know, you've uh, bro mostly broken the spell. Um, same, but it's it's uh, such something I definitely want to be clear in the book and, you know, just in general with people is that it's, it's not the kind of addiction that you can uh, quit. And it's certainly a kind of a lifelong work that one has to do to um, keep uh, suffering less, really. It's because there's a massive amount of suffering with this kind of uh, addiction. Absolutely. I found with food addiction and with sex and love addiction that, um, as you say, it's not, you can't have absentees. Uh, you know, I used to smoke cigarette for 30 years and obviously chose absentees and then, okay, you know, but the addiction part didn't go away. Even the, the mentality and you talk about how it works, the, the kind of the process of the addiction. But when it comes to sex, love and food, I think, as you say, because the absentee is not there of the actual behavior 
um, that it really takes a lot of different types of uh, modification. So first, if you could explain, and you've done that in your book beautifully, and um, some people don't see this as addiction. They see it as personality issues. They see it as bad luck that they've gotten you know, used to. And some people think of um, sex addiction as if like, oh my God, somebody just, you know, they just have a lot of sexual appetite and have, you know, uh, less value about it. And they're just going around and doing this. And there's, uh, there isn't a lot of knowledge um, from people who are not part of this and they don't experience it. And even the, the person who's experienced it through a lot, of, a lot of years, they just go through a lot of dramatic turmoils before they know what this process is. So um, you consider it a process addiction versus obviously a substance abuse, uh, a substance uh, addiction. Um, but the other side of it is how do you, how do you suppose it's an addiction? So if you could explain why do we call this an addiction? Yes, and I, I do wanna uh, just sort of affirm how difficult it is to see it as something that could be treated in a way uh, differently from people who don't really get onto this spectrum. And this is why I, created a spectrum in, uh, in in the book, that it's a sex and love addiction spectrum. And this is because our whole culture really sort of encourages a lot of the behavior and feelings that wind up happening and wind up coming up for sex and love addicts. So, so, the, so there is actually a neurobiological process of addiction that is in sex and love addiction. Also though, unlike many other addictions, there's a huge aspect of it. In fact, I would say more so even than that addictive process that is more about dealing with the sort of both existential and cultural issues that come up around sex and love. So, uh, so that's sort of the most important part of it is that it is an addiction, but that's only actually a small part of it. You know, it's not all of it the way it would be. So for instance, for like, you know, an act, a substance. Um, so, uh, so yeah. And the neurobiological process too, that's sort of interesting to know is that the addiction is to more of the fan, a fantasy around love in particular, but also around sex and what it could provide for you. Um, the key too, is that it has to kind of be ruining your life, <laughs> you know, it has to be ruining your life. And it has to be happening because of one's own behaviors as opposed to just bad luck. Um, and uh, there's also just a, a, a really clear way to look at it is if someone is using sex and or love to um, avoid difficult feelings and to, um, uh, to find a way to act. It's actually a way to avoid intimacy. If you're using sex and or love to avoid intimacy, which is, you know, a whole thing to talk about that's sex and love addiction. Um, there is definitely, um, a concept of a behavior that is, uh, a systematic behavior that happens. And there's a lot of um, turmoil, a drama that is consistently happening. You also, beside the neurological, neurobiological aspects, you, in your book, you also talk about, um, you know, the obsession that the person goes through 
the obsession about themselves in a sense and the, the outside world but for example the, the person that they're going to be the object of let's say affection or there's a different aspect of the codependency of um, them becoming um, all that you exist for or uh, the most important factor that would create who I am and if they exist if the, the lover let's say exists then I exist and if they don't the anxiety like you talked about existential anxiety shows up um, and then you talked about how and then we can go into the uh, how it really matters how a person is raised within a system of the family and how they've been attached to maybe their mom or their, their dad um, and some of the background causes so I just wanted to throw all of that ball to you and let you take it wherever you choose to sure um and you know that obsessive thing with another person that's just one aspect um again the difficulty of sex and love addiction is that there's such a huge array of ways that it can show up in one's life and and also it can change over time uh just like just when you think you've kind of you know moved through the sex and love addiction it like shows up in a new way so you know the gift that keeps on giving um and so so but the aspect you're talking about is more sort of like the love addicty um I always say that the reason I, I I put it all under the umbrella of the sex sex and love addiction is because if you have a problem with one, you have a problem with the other. Like that's just there. You're, we're talking about intimacy. Really, it's like issues with intimacy and relationships. Um, so uh, so that there is a, a very sort of classic relationship that happens for love addicts where a love addict will be drawn to a love avoidant, which is a whole thing that is, and love avoidants are actually often on the spectrum of sex and love addiction too. Um, if they tend to do more around sort of the sex addiction part of things, but that co-addicted relationship, uh, that's where one could see a lot of that obsession you're talking about, um, a lot of um, the, uh, choosing to stay in a situation where um, you, you're just sort of getting crumbs from the other person. Um, uh, but I, I have so much more that I talk about in the book um, and actually I'm going to have a course eventually on my website about how to use a relationship like that to work through more of your love addiction rather than, you know, cause everyone tells you, well, get, this is the thing nobody understands. Most people don't understand. And they'll be like, well, what are you doing? You know, get out of that relationship. Obviously, you know, you deserve better and you should be in this kind of relationship. And it's like, we can't, <laughs> you know, we just can't. And so instead I look at ways in the book and in, for instance, the courses and in my work around therapy and, and uh, coaching, uh, I look at how we can use those relationships rather than having to leave them to help ourselves get to better places around our sex and love addiction. Um, yes, and, uh, like a laboratory, you gotta be working within it versus working outside of it. I totally Exactly. Yeah, like you can't work on intimacy issues outside of intimacy. That's kind of all there is to it. Yeah, and um, 
triggered. If the only way is that you're getting triggered. Exactly. You have to get triggered. Got to work on it. Yeah. Yes. Kira, mm -hmm. you talked um, interestingly about the, the difference that this addiction or the process has for women and men. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about what the differences are that you see? Yeah, this really points to something that is so probably most important to me in my work around sex and love addiction, which is to the development of critical thinking around how seriously huge the issue of culture, of our culture is, Western culture is around this addiction, why it makes it so hard both both to know that that's what's going on and probably more importantly that it, it you know often sort of like encourages and cues behavior and that tends to happen more so from women. Um, there are ways that that happens with men too, no question, but I focused, I basically devoted a chapter in my book to just women um, and how this shows up around women. Um, I mean, some of the more obvious things are, are the ways that we are treated around our bodies and around sex, where we are sort of just sort of meant for male desire. Our bodies are like not our, don't often feel like our own in this culture. Um, and that, um, and so then also there's all sorts of like the abuse and harassment and violations and sort of mini violations and, and, um, and ways that we wind up um, uh, in, in with situations that we are like not even clear about what we really want if, if we're looking at what we want from a core self rather than like a, you know, an agency or in ourselves rather than just trying to get loved you know, um, because being loved will make us worthwhile. I mean, that's a very clear message. Being desired and loved is a very clear message given to women um, that that you get that through A, your body, and B, through, um, you know, through love. So, um, uh, so that's really the most important part about why I pulled a whole section apart for just women, because it just, you know, really, it probably deserves the whole book. Um, know, maybe I'll do that someday. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then, you know, and then all the stuff around romance for women, you know, the being like, I noticed uh, with a client the other day, um, he was talking about something. And I said, it's so funny how women are like, spend time, like, does he like me? And men are like, do I like her? Like, it's just so, it's just, it's so bad how much we are not inside of like our own power and agency around sex and love. So that's really the key to why I felt like that was important. Um, there is a, a aspect of, it seems also that there's a cliche that is said, and I don't know if it's just a cliche. And I think part of it is, is that the men go toward sexuality first. So it, it appears that they have um, the obsession over sexuality. And after that, they might, may, not necessarily will, but may then have um, a connection with that intimacy and, and kind of be in it. And then, then if there's a um, obsession, they'll go back and forth with the drama. And the, the women are more 
seeking that love and sometimes use sexuality uh, just to gain that love and a lot of time get very disappointed uh, about um, not gaining that love and the, the relationship stopping just uh, by sex and then feeling used uh, in a sense and at times abused by the process itself and as I'm hearing from you that that the process of the internal perception um, even though we're still talking about sex and love addiction but the internal perception and the external behavior become different uh, when it comes to male and female Yes, it's so important to understand about sex in particular that that um, sex is not just what one thing. Sex is not just like what we think of as sex. It's tied up with so many different desires, so many different existential desires. And certainly for men, um, sex is often the sort of avenue to all of their access to connection and emotion and intimacy because again, of those cultural pressures around who they get to be um, in, in the world. So, so, and then for, for women as well, I mean, there's all of the, all the things that we think of as sexual desire are really tied up with like, what, what do I, how I want, I want to be loved or I want to feel real connection with someone or um, I want to feel worthwhile. I want to feel, feel desired. You know, there's so many different ways. And, um, and I, I like to, to tell people that sex is really about two things, um, connection and self-actualization. And that however, those two things are playing out inside of your relationship to sex is a really important thing to understand um, so that you can be heading into sex in your life more intentionally and more aware of what is going on for you around it. You know, I'm a big, I, I always worry, you know, as a feminist, I always worry about this thing like, well, women just use sex to get love. I mean, of course, that's not entirely true, um, but there are a lot of desires that are caught up inside of the other desires. Um, and uh, it's just important to to take those apart and that it's gonna be a little different for everybody. Um, an interesting topic that I also saw in your book is uh, the female friendships that you brought into this conversation, like yeah. the acting out friend, the sideline friend, the crush, the warrior. Can you share a little bit about how the female friendship plays a part in this? Yeah, well, and by the way, you're um, kind of referring to uh, Kelly McDaniel's uh, breakdown of the friendships. So, um, so I'll leave that to Kelly McDaniel. Um, but, but to me, the most important part of the friendships for women when women are set, are on the sex and love addiction spectrum is that so many women who aren't, it's very difficult to understand that and to see that for what it is. And it's very difficult to feel. So for instance, I just said, like, I just said, I'm a feminist and, you know, I feel like I'm a hardcore feminist, but I also like spend all day, you know, thinking about some dumb boy, you know, it's like, it's really hard to reconcile and, and our friends have trouble reconciling that too. And they have trouble understanding, like, why would you, you know, what is wrong with you that you keep choosing, you know, that you won't get out of this relationship or you keep choosing these situations um, or you keep setting yourself up and um, they, 
it, it doesn't make sense to them. And so it's so important, I think, for women to get a lot of clarity and understanding and education about this issue so that they can explain it to their friends. I mean, their friends have issues too. It's just not in the this realm, you know? So um, it's just an important thing to be able to understand and explain to people so that they don't, I, I mean, most of us who are on the spectrum, we've lost friendships mm -hmm. over our sex and love addiction in various ways, you know? So um, it can be, it's a very selfish addiction. I mean, most addictions are selfish, but this, but this one for sure, it's like harder to see that it's selfish. There's a lot of using people, you know, you're using them for, to get your worth, um, to feel worthwhile and to feel, um, to get access to something as opposed to being in like genuine connection with other people. You know, we spent a lifetime doing that. And so it's very important to understand and look at and like, take, take responsibility for the ways that we've done that. Yeah. I've noticed, for example, for myself and a lot of the clients that I work with, um, uh, it doesn't it doesn't start from a love addiction. It starts from you could see the uh, the woundings happening um, in different areas of the relational aspects of you know whether it was molestation or rape or being in an environment where honesty of intimacy was just not there. All of that, where when it shows up as a teenager or moves forward to a young adult and going forward, uh, that it, it manifests itself or expresses itself in this form. And, um, and I sense that in your book, you also then go forward with the chapters of how to be aware, how to set boundaries, how to you know, work within a relationship to find your own worth and, um, and know how to set boundaries, not only for yourself, but for others. Um, so it's, as I said, to, it's a very comprehensive book, and I'm glad that you're also creating a course from it. Um, we have about a minute. Is there anything we haven't shared with our audience that you really want them to know? Um, I guess just to kind of piggyback on what you were just talking about, about self-awareness, uh, the, the section in the book, I mean, this whole like actually like last two parts have lots of like practical ways of dealing with, with this in your life. And um, that aspect of self-awareness, I guess I just want to say is probably like 85%, if not more of what it takes to break that spell, because that's really what it's about. It's about breaking the, the fantasy. It's about, it's about really kind of unpacking all of the things that are there around messages from the culture, around um, wound-based feelings that you're projecting onto a situation, all of those things, um, the, your own awareness around how that stuff works inside you and that you've had a pattern of letting those things work inside you for so long um, are probably the most important thing. And then the rest of it is, you know, sort of managing your behavior and that's it. So just want to throw that in there. Thank you. Carrie Cohen, everyone. The book is Crazy for You, Breaking the Spells of Sex and Love Addiction. And where can they find you, Carrie? Um, they can find me at uh, my website, which is carrie-cohen.com. So that's a hyphen. Um, and it's actually, it's been under construction uh, to revamp, but it's about to go live again very shortly. So, and, and they can find, they find where can they find uh, the book crazy for you? Um, anywhere they buy books, <laughs> you know, 
support your local bookstore, I guess I would say. <laughs> Beautiful. It was great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks so much. Don't go anywhere, everyone. We'll be right back. Thank you for sending me a question. And the question is, when my mood is down, how do I change my mood? Well, to understand mood, mood is a state that we have, which is our thought process, our emotions, and our physiology. So you could attempt to shift either one of them in order to shift your mood at that time. When it comes to the physiology, if you're anxious, uh, walking helps, jumping up and down helps, breathing, um, first allowing that breathing to leave and, and get out the anxiety, or uh, having deep breaths, where it allows your body to see that I can be calm and um, everything's okay, there's no danger. If you're depressed, allowing yourself to walk, to move, to move your body with music, to exercise, to do yoga, all of these physical changes, changing your physiology will also impact changing your mood. When it comes to the emotion, you can feel your emotion wherever it is in your body, allow it to be there, experience it, name it, and uh, release it. Releasing by writing, releasing by crying, releasing by uh, walking and shifting it into the physiology, um, and looking at what messages it has for you. It has a thought process, it has a logic around it. And looking at what type of a thought process, a belief, a formula, uh, a narrative, a story that you're running at that moment that allows that mood to get that way, whether it gets anxious or depressed. And shifting, doing some reality check and shifting that element of the thought process and um, as you do all three, where you shift the physiology and you access the emotion and name it and release it, and you challenge and reality check your mood, you'll see that if your intention is to shift it by being with it, being intentional with it and uh, shifting it, there's an ability for you to do that and gain control over your mood. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dr. Fujian Zane, and I have um, Tara Wyatt-Trisloff with us. She's a speaker, a writer, a personal trainer, a coach, a teacher, a mother of two, busy boy and a wife, and she's got a beautiful dog, which probably will go around us. Uh, she's the owner and the creator of the Transform with Tara and the head coach of TWT Academy, a membership program that uses mindset and movement to help women unlock their inner strength, power, and potential. Welcome to the show, Tara. Oh my goodness, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So why focus on our body? What brought you to, to say, this is what the journey needs to be? Well, it really stems from my own journey, 
to be honest. And I spent a good portion of my life trying to shrink my body, trying to shrink my voice. Um, and there were so many things I wanted to do with my life that I just never did. Um, I got very comfortable as an educator, very comfortable in my discomfort in my body, uh, and very comfortable standing in the background and watching other people change the world the way I really wanted to. And so when I became pregnant with my second baby boy and found out it was a baby boy, um, I cried hysterically on the ultrasound table um, because I was so afraid to be a mom of two boys because I had, you know, grown up as an athlete, but I had lost my sense of who I was and my body was just so far away from what I imagined it could be. And I, I just thought I'm going to fail these two boys. I'm going to end up being that snack mom that sits on the, on the sidelines at all their games, not participating, um, just watching them live their lives when really I wanted to engage. I wanted to be the mom that was coaching, that was on the playground with them, that was running with them, that was playing with them. And I was so afraid that that might not happen for me. So after giving birth to my second healthy baby boy, um, I made some lifestyle changes and I hired a personal trainer and she came into my home and she was amazing. She was a wonderful woman, a real human. Um, and I, I so loved working with her and she helped me on this journey of pretty extreme weight loss. I lost about 60 pounds in my health journey and just learned to eat a little bit differently and fell in love with moving my body. And then one day I reached this magical number on the scale and, and nothing happened. Nothing changed. The heavens didn't open up. The angels didn't sing. Nothing happened. I still looked in the mirror every day and thought, ugh. And that's when I knew that there was really nothing wrong with my body. My body didn't need to be fixed. What needed to be fixed was my heart and my head and that the magic already lived inside me to do all the things that I really wanted to do in this world. Um, and so I, I took the journey and I did the hard work and I worked through the mindset obstacles and I worked, I continued to move my body and I continued to fall in love with it each and every day. And then the magic came alive and I started to doing, started doing what I'm passionate about and started following a path that led me to fulfillment and joy. Um, and that's where I am today. And so I just want that for every woman in the world. I want that experience. I want that awareness that the magic is in them and they can live the life they dreamed of. It's there. They can do it. I've uh, probably, I could say suffered because I think they felt like suffering um, about going, you know, like a 25 pound over and then coming to small, becoming smaller and then becoming 25 and then smaller. And now it goes into 10 pounds over and coming back out. And there's definitely, uh, for me, I think it has been more of, um, I go right to the edge of that. I can't stand myself anymore. Uh, looking at myself in the mirror, looking at the pictures. And then I take on a very like strict discipline uh, behaviors and uh, bring myself to a position and then 
at one point again, um, I decide, oh, it's all well. And then let go of that discipline and then, you know, go back to a, what I say, an undesired space, which comes with it. It's not just the way I look. It comes with it with a lot of emotional stuff that shows up at that moment. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's like a cycle that goes back and forth. So I've experienced that moving along consistently. And when I looked at the terminology that you're using, which is uh, a term of body freedom instead of body positivity, which is I don't, I can get free of this conversation. Um, I don't have to consistently be worried. About, I mean, a health issue is a health issue, but you know, um, to, to consistently define myself as that. But there's definitely, that's where I, I'm assuming uh, the freedom shows up versus I have a vision of myself that this is the way I should look like because if I look that way, then it's all great. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I, I shy away a little bit from the body positivity language um, just because that's a very, very big step to go from this life of not feeling comfortable in your skin and you know, saying some really mean, hurtful things about yourself to then looking in the mirror and being in love with everything you see. That's, that's maybe not a realistic path, but the sense of body freedom that I, that I have and that I hope to give to the world is just imagine the amount of time and the amount of money and the amount of energy that we have spent picking ourselves apart, trying to change the physical container, trying to alter, trying to be something other than what we see in front of us. And imagine if we took that time, that energy and that money and spent it on the things that light our hearts on fire, on our passions, on changing the world, on making an impact with the people that we love. There would be so much more of us to to give to those areas if we could just take that, you know, and it really adds up the, the five, 10, 15 minutes a day we spend in the mirror kind of critiquing and pulling and stretching and seeing um, that adds up, that adds up. And um, I just want to give that to people. I want people to be free of that so that we can, you know, just get dressed and all of our energy goes into what we love. Well, there's definitely also a beauty expectation that happens in the outside world. So every magazine you see, every um, you know movie you look at, every comment that is out there, it's all about a certain type of an expectation that um, is for women, and there's a certain type of expectation for men to look a particular way, to be accepted, and and to be uh, stated as um, a beautiful being um, or and then it's not just okay you're you're normal and then there's a category of okay for this time uh this era we call this beauty you know like fashion for this era we'll call this fashion but mm -hmm. when it comes to the beauty expectation although it is also a concept of fashion but we don't necessarily call it fashion somehow mm -hmm. we call it like oh it's an expectation that needs to be that and then i see this a lot in especially now in teens which growing up around like starting right around their puberty, which it becomes very important, not only their bodies going wacko and, you know, changing in a <laughs> weird way, but also that, you know, that they want to be desirable. And then definitely, you know, what is the, 
uh, category of desirable, they look at the beauty expectation that's out there and they put themselves onto a lot of mess. And that's where a lot of the eating disorders also starts appearing. Uh, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about that? And how do, you, how do you overcome the concept of the beauty expectation? Well, a couple of things. One, am I, am I allowed to say a swear word here? <laughs> it's a radio, so probably not. <laughs> okay, well, I, I, I permission granted to everyone listening to understand that those societal expectations are baloney. Insert what you will there absolute baloney um and the other thing is like who who gets to decide who's making these decisions you know someone in a white tower at the top of the tower in his very expensive office is determining what we deem as beautiful but really we get to make that decision and we get to change the societal construct of beauty and we get to challenge that And we get to put ourselves out there in a way that says, I'm not having any of that. I am me. I am beautiful. And that can be beautiful too. But I get to be beautiful first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, there's this, uh, there is the part that I come to a place of confidence within myself, that I love to be who I am. And I don't have to only focus on one area of my life I can focus on so many things as you said like I don't have to spend so many hours on one end I can actually spend these hours on you know uh, connection and being with people and the personality we have together the connection the communication we have together Um, so there is there is that concept of going that way and then there is a push and a shove especially if you are still in a in the dating game let's say you're still in the essence that uh, that you're trying to be desirable out there and that you focus more on that and I think that it becomes less when you know you have found your mate and you that you've passed by that conversation and you're moving to the next level of your life any um how do you deal how do you go by the people who are still in the uh, selection process of their life which goes from let's say teenagehood to maybe mid thirties, which is the most important factor for them in how to do the beauty aspect. Or um, I've seen the next level that becomes very, very uh, extensive is if the people have gotten divorced and they're going back into dating games, then suddenly all of this again becomes important. So a lot of uh, of the obsession, let's call it obsession, shows up at the era of life of the phase of life which the desirability from uh, another person uh, becomes the highest level of priority Mm -hmm. i guess what's really important there is to really really do some inner work and inner reflecting on what you really want you know yes there is a need for desire there is a want for desire and for someone to desire you. Um, But the truth is that at the end of the day, our bodies are the very least interesting thing about us. And when I want someone to desire me, I want someone who desires my mind and my heart and my energy and my spirit. And if I fall into the trap of the beauty standards, and I show up as someone that I'm not, 
then I'm not truly connecting. I'm not truly earning their desire. I'm not truly winning them. So I guess that's the deep part is what are you really after? And, and that's tricky. I don't, I don't want that to sound like I'm making it easy or, you know, just, just think this way and it'll go well. Um, I, I understand the, the difficulty of that, but I think that's so important in the journey of finding a match or a person is what are you really looking for? Exactly. And it seems like if when you are confident uh, about the value of all parts of you, then you don't spend um, a lot of obsessive thoughts about only one aspect of you. And mm-hmm. then now again, it doesn't mean that people shouldn't take care of themselves physically. It just means right. stop obsessing over something that it, you know, it, it gets old very quickly um, as far as, you know, somebody's attention in, in that way. Um, exactly. You go, then you talked about movement and a mindset of um, that, that plays in, in this kind of a journey. Can you share about um, what type of mindset and the, and the movement that you are sharing with others, whether they're children or grownups? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think it's, um, so my journey obviously started with movement and through movement, I learned and discovered what my body was truly capable of. And I had never given it enough credit. I had never um, allowed it to, to be as strong as it was or to express itself in that way. And so that for me unlocked a huge aspect of my own inner magic and my own inner power. And so I've seen that with my clients as well, when they do something physically that they didn't think that they were ever going to be able to do suddenly that transfers into their lives and they start to do things there that they thought they could never do. Um, An example, I had a client who uh, did a a wall plank. So she had her feet up on the wall and was in a plank position. And when she came to me, she, she plank was about a 10 second plank from her knees. So the, the growth in her strength was absolutely incredible. But after that day, when she was so amazed with what her body could do, she also went out into the world and started a really successful virtual assistant business. She gained control over her finances, her relationship. And and for me, that's the magical part is that once you unlock one part of what you're capable of, um, the rest of that just kind of falls into play. But of course, we need to talk about it. So we do work on goal setting. We work on integrity. We work on mindfulness. We work on all of those kinds of things that, you know, really movement is great. But if you're not tapping into the, the power of the movement and what it's really doing for you, then you're missing a whole piece of the puzzle. What about people who hate exercise and um, they're just like not comfortable? Ooh. And they're uncomfortable with pain. And it's like, no, you're not going to make me, uh, uh, you know, experience pain at this point. So, no. Yes, absolutely. There, there, there are lots of those people out there and I love them. Okay. Um, <laughs> I do know that the only way that I do it is also with a personal trainer. It's like that. I've, I've figured out the game is if you sat me and I do, like I walk and I do this Peloton and all that. But my threshold is pain. The minute I go through pain, I'm like, uh-uh, I'm not doing this anymore. And the only way to be pushed is that I, I do it with a personal trainer because they tell me to push. And I somehow listen to them. And I won't listen to myself when it's just me. 
Yes, for sure. I think in all areas of our life, we need that sort of accountability person, that coach to sort of push us to the next level, whether it's fitness or business or whatever the area is. But um, in my membership group, especially, we really focus in on the idea that movement should be enjoyable. Movement should not feel like punishment. And there are so many ways to move your body that do not feel like punishment. Um, we've, we try, we've tried yoga. We've tried, we learned a TikTok dance this week. Uh, we've gone to a trampoline park. We've done some bungee workouts, um, just neighborhood nature walks. There's all kinds of ways to move your body that don't necessarily include uh, dumbbells and pain and someone yelling at you to push harder. <laughs> I like that. I actually like that where, where you could, uh, you know, sometimes the only way we think is, oh my God, I got to go to the gym. And then there's a trainer that comes and pushes me and then tells me, you know, 10 more or five more or four more. And they just add on to the weight and uh, I come out and I'm exhausted, but that's not the, the, the what you're talking about, which is the, it, that could be included, but it doesn't have to be that, but it can be um, set up in. And I like what you said about a community. I think that when we are a community that does this, then it becomes much more fruitful because people root for each other. They are, you know, kind of like keep each other accountable. Uh, and, you know, when they don't do something, they support each other to do it. They won't shame each other. They support mm -hmm. each other. Um, so that's creating a sense of community uh, where people are uh, focusing on being together um, and um, the, the unity that becomes while they're, doing, enjoying their body. Um, mm -hmm. This is a wonderful path. And that's what you do with Transform with Tara, Tara, right? That's it. That's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. We've created this community of humans that is so supportive and so empowering of one another. And yeah, sometimes we need grace. Sometimes we need a push and sometimes we need to celebrate together. And it's so great to have like-minded humans to do that with. In one minute, if, uh, what is it that we haven't shared and you really want uh, everyone to know? I really want you to know that if you are at the very beginning of a body freedom journey, or if you have struggled with body image issues at any point in your life or are currently struggling, um, I want you to know that you're not alone, for starters. I want you to start by paying attention to the language that you are using around your body. And when you say the words to yourself, I want you to imagine the face of your very best friend. Because I know that you would never use those words towards your best friend. And I want you to wear the shorts, put on the bathing suit, dance naked in front of the mirror, and celebrate that body that you were gifted. Thank you. Beautiful. Sarah Wyatt Treslove, everyone. Where can they find you? Uh, I am on Instagram. That's where I'm the most present. I'm Transform with Tara on Instagram. Uh, also on Facebook. I don't know if anybody uses Facebook anymore. <laughs> My kids tell me no, but I still go there. So I'm on Facebook. TWT Transform with Tara is my Facebook page. Um, and I have a website that is slightly under construction, but it's getting there, uh, www.transformwithtara.com. Beautiful. Thank you for being on our show. Thank you so much for having me. 
And for all of you who are out there, create an amazing life for yourself and everyone else. And until next week, bye-bye.